Welcome to the Three Creeks Church Podcast. We're a church in Gehanna, Ohio, and we exist to help people find and follow God. To find out more about our church, to join a group, or to give online, visit threecreekschurch.com. In this series, we're diving into the story of Esther. Esther is the only book of the Bible in which the name of God isn't written. But the power of God, the presence of God, and the providence of God are clearly on display. Thanks for tuning in to Providence, the story of Esther. Three Creeks. My name is Joel Trainer, and I get to be the pastor here. And if you're here, uh, if you're a regular, what's up? And if you're new, we just want to say welcome. We're excited that you have joined us. First week in a brand new series called Providence. We like to set the mood with a low bass. First week in a series called Providence. <clears throat> We're going to be here for four weeks. And we're going to go through the story of Esther. There's a lot more to the story of Esther than was told to you maybe when you were younger and heard the story of Esther for the first time. Maybe this is the first time that you have ever heard the story of Esther. She's one of the heroes of the Bible. And as we go through her story over the next four weeks, I hope that you will take uh, tremendous courage from the person of Esther and I also hope that you, as you see this story, will believe more than ever that God is doing more in your life and around you than you ever thought that he was. That as we go through life and just, you know, imagine things as just happening by chance or by coincidence, I'm hopeful that by the end of this series, you'll start to realize that there's more going on than what first meets the eye. And so uh, let, me, let me just start off the series by telling you a story. When my wife and I moved here to Gehanna, Morgan made the, the bold move of joining the Gehanna Moms Network. She was a new mom. We didn't know anybody in Gehanna. And so she joined the GMN. And it's just Gehanna Moms that have playdates and hang out and ha- have events. It's kind of out of my wife's character to do that. But she felt like she wanted to kind of make her way and meet friends in Gehanna. And so that was her way of doing that. She met somebody by the name of April. Some of you guys know April, and uh, she met April at an event, and then Morgan, over the course of time, decided to volunteer to host the Chili Cook-Off, the GMN Chili Cook-Off. I mean, this is a big deal, and it's coming to our house. And so, you know, we've got everything prepared, and uh, April's husband, Jason, just happens to be a chef, and he brings his entry into the Chili Cook-Off, Elk Chili. And I think that's pretty cool. So I just start talking up Jason. We ended up talking for a while. And, and Morgan and I got to know Jason and April. And they, have, they had Eli, I guess, at the time. And so, um, you know, we kind of become friends. They come over to our house for dinner. And they, they weren't at that point plugged into a, a local church. And uh, they come over to our house. We go over to their house. And we just become friends. Then it, then it, came, it comes to, to happen that they actually have some other friends from a job that Jason used to have. He was a guy that went to Encounter Church, which is one of the churches that sent us here. And at that point, that was a real fresh memory. And so we're kind of making these ties like, oh, you know them and we know them. And that's, that's kind of a small world. And then finally, you know, we said, hey, you want to come maybe check out Three Creeks? And they come into Three Creeks. And Jason uh, and I both share a love for slow pitch softball. And so Jason becomes the Three Creeks captain of the team. There he's, he's over there laughing because he knows it's true. And uh, Jason becomes the captain of the team. 
Jason and I uh, played golf a couple times together, talked about God a couple times together, but church was, was new for him at the time. He'd, he'd never really read the Bible. And so we were talking about this one time. And then, uh, I, I don't know, God put it on my heart to buy Jason a Bible, get his name on it, and I was going to give it to him at our season finale softball game over there at uh, whatever park that is. And down, I forget the name of it, whatever. The one we used to have Hot Dog Monday at, that one. Huh? Woodside. Woodside Green. Come on, somebody. And so Woodside Green, we were going to have our softball game. And correct me if I'm wrong, I'm pretty sure the last game got rained out five times. It was five weeks in a row, five Monday nights in a row where it got rained out. And I just, I've had this Bible in my car for like five or six weeks. I can't wait to give it to Jason. Finally, I said to him, I said, man, it doesn't matter if it rains tomorrow. Just come over after work. I think the game got canceled again. And you said, all right, I'm coming over after work. And so I, I've got the Bible and I'm ready to give it to him. Jason comes over after work. It's 530 in the evening and he walks in and uh, I said, hey, I have something for you here's a Bible. And Jason, I remember physically, he just kind of like steps back like this. He goes, you haven't seen me touch my phone. He said, you haven't seen me touch my phone. I said, no, I haven't seen you touch your phone. And he kind of like delicately like pulls it out and like puts it on the table. He wants to make sure that I know that he's not messing with it. And he opens up his notes. And this was the screenshot of the note at nine, at 6 a.m. that morning, Joel's giving me a Bible. I had a dream about it last night. And I was like, that was crazy to me at that time. And that was at the beginning of our friendship, really. And now Jason and April have become kind of a core family in our church. April's probably serving in kids today. Jason cooks food for us. He's still the softball captain. And, and God has just spiritually awoken the Kaufman family through all of these things that at the time I might have been writing off as coincidence. And, and, and as, I, as I tell that story, I, I um, yeah, I, 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 just, I just wonder, as I reflect on the whole thing, as it was happening, I wasn't sure that, you know, God was coordinating it, that, that there was going to be a chili cook-off, and it was going to be at our house, and Jason, it was the first event you ever came to for the GMN, me too, that God would coordinate that, and we would stand by that fire And then, you know, I don't know, like there's so many little details that had to happen to make that whole story come true. And as it was happening, I was not thinking every day like, wow, God is really on the move here. But in hindsight, I can see that God was in the details of that story, that this wasn't all just one big coincidence, that this was providence. And to define the word providence, it's the protective care and guidance of God. The protective care and guidance of God. Was God doing more behind the scenes that I could easily see at first glance? I think we all probably have some stories in our lives where we go, man, that was crazy. Listen to this story. Listen to how I met this person. Listen to how we got this house. Listen to how I got this job. Listen to how I ended up in this church. We have these stories we reflect on and go, that was, a cra- that was crazy. And as we look through the story of Esther, I think you might realize that, no, that wasn't crazy. That was God. That it wasn't just a coincidence, just happenstance. Can you believe that happened? 
It was God in the details working that out for that, for that to be your experience in that moment. Let me show you how this happens in the book of Esther. Go to the book, at, go to the book of Esther. If you've got your Bibles, open them, turn them on. Esther's one of the heroes of the Bible. Esther is only nine chapters long. Fascinating fact about the book of Esther, the name of God isn't mentioned in the book of Esther. It's the only book of the Bible that doesn't mention the name of God. It's just a historical story. No other book of the Bible, the other 65, no other book of the Bible makes any reference to Esther or about Esther. It's this story that kind of historically stands alone in the Bible. It's right after, if you're looking for it, it's right after Nehemiah, and it's right before Job, and it's the perfect example to, uh, perfect time for me to remind you that the Bible isn't written chronologically. It's not 66 books as they happen in order. The Bible's kind of collected into, or the Bible's, you know, books collected as, as themes. And so Esther falls in this historical collection of books in the Bible. You can't see God's name in it, but you can't deny God's hand in it. You're not going to read the book of Esther and, and, and hear about what God is doing, but as, as you zoom out and you look at the entire story, you're going to be like, oh my goodness, God was at work through the whole thing. I'm actually going to fly through the whole story of Esther today, and then next week, the week after, and the week after that, the next three weeks in October, we're going to zoom in on a specific chapter, kind of a specific story. But today I'm going to fly over the whole thing. It's going to be more Bible than you're used to me reading, but I think it just kind of tells this whole story and lays the groundwork for where we're going. So Esther 1.1 goes like this. These events happened in the days of King Xerxes. I'm going to get way into King Xerxes next week, but here's what you need to know today. He's the richest man in the world. He's the most powerful man in the world. He is the president of the United States, plus Jeff Bezos, plus everybody else that you can think that is important. He, this is Xerxes. He rules over three million square miles, also known as the world at that time. I mean, King Xerxes is over all of it. And this is the, this is the, uh, the person that you read about in Esther 1.1, King Xerxes. And look. In verse 2, at that time, Xerxes ruled his empire from his royal throne at the fortress of Susa. Xerxes actually has two palaces. You know you're rich when you have a backup palace for your palace. So depending on the weather, he would go to one or the other. This, he threw a party in verse 4. The celebration lasted 180 days. A 180-day party. A tremendous display of the opulent wealth of his empire and the pomp and splendor of his majesty. When it was all over, the king gave a banquet for all the people, from the greatest to the least, who were in the fortress of Susa. He said 180 days isn't long enough of a party. It lasted for seven days, seven more days, and was held in the courtyard of the palace garden. It says that they drank from golden goblets, and none of them were the same. It says that this party, they would sit on golden couches. That does not sound comfortable, but they were golden, golden couches. And while this, all, while this party is happening, his queen, Queen Vashti, has a banquet for the women in the royal palace. And while Xerxes was drunk, he called for Queen Vashti, and she turned him down. She, as the cool kids say, ghosted him. She said, I'm out. I'm not coming. And so Xerxes, true to form, decides to divorce Queen Vashti. So that the whole country would know that he is still the most powerful person. No one's going to turn down 
King Xerxes. And so he divorces Vashti. In chapter 2, this is the plan they come up with. They go, let us search the empire to find beautiful young virgins for the king. Let the king appoint agents in each province to bring these beautiful young women into the royal harem at the fortress of Susa. Hega, Hegai, the king's eunuch in charge of the harem will see that they are all given beauty treatments. After that, the young women who ple- the young woman who pleases the king will be made queen instead of Vashti. This is the first season of The Bachelor. They look everywhere through all of the provinces and say, who can come and be beautiful enough to be King Xerxes' next queen? Okay, there's a man in chapter 2 named Mordecai. You're going to want to remember the name Mordecai. He is a Jew. He's a descendant from Abraham, from David. Says that Jesus is going to be in that same line. So Mordecai is a Jew. You got to remember that. Mordecai has a cousin named Esther. She's a Jew. She is Jewish. Mordecai sends Esther in as a, as a contestant for King Xerxes. Will she be beautiful enough? They, it sounds crazy and, and I would say even terrible, but they put these women in a certain part of the temple where King Xerxes can't see, see them for a while, and they give them a year's worth of beauty treatments before they bring them in front of the king, and he gets to decide if she will be the queen. But she keeps her nationality a secret, and no one knows that she is a Jew. Finally, in Esther chapter 2, 16, Esther was taken to King Xerxes at the royal palace in early winter of the seventh year of his reign. Xerxes became the king when he was 30. So he's 37 years old. Esther, maybe in her teens, maybe 20 years old. And the king loved Esther more than any of the other women. He was so delighted with her that he set the royal crown on her head and declared her queen, Queen Esther, instead of Vashti. And now the story is about to get really crazy. Remember Esther's cousin's name? Mordecai, right? Look at verse 21, Esther 2.21. Look at this. One day, as Mordecai was on duty at the king's gate, two of the king's eunuchs, Big Thana and Teresh, who were guards at the door. I want a guard named Big Thana. They were guards at the door of the king's private quarters. They became angry with Xerxes, and they plotted to assassinate him. But Mordecai, who was just on duty at the king's gate heard about the plot and gave the information to Queen Esther. She then told the king about it and gave Mordecai credit for the report. And when an investigation was made and Mordecai's story was found to be true, that Big Thana and Teresh were plotting to assassinate the king, the two men were impaled on a sharpened pole. But Mordecai just happened to be on duty at the king's gate. It's where he just happened to be. He just happened... Just a coincidence, probably, to overhear Big Thana and Teresh plotting to assassinate the king. He just happened to be Queen Esther's cousin, 
and he relays the information to Esther, who tells the king there's an investigation, and they're found to be guilty of a plot to assassinate the king, and they're impaled in a sharp pole. They're killed. Just a coincidence, I think, that he was there. Don't you? Sometime later, uh, Xerxes appoints a man to be his right-hand man, the most powerful official in all of the land, and his name is Haman. When Haman would walk around, he had so much power, so much clout, that people would bow. So as he walks from this building to that building, down the street, people know who Haman is, and they bow. There's one individual who doesn't bow to Haman. He's Haman as, as an evil ruler, and he goes, I'm not going to do it. His name... Mordecai, the guy who's at the king's gate. Mordecai doesn't bow to Haman, and this infuriates Haman. And because Haman is kind of King Xerxes' protege, they, they think alike. Their visions are about power and prestige. So Haman chooses, I'm not only going to kill Mordecai, but I found out that Mordecai was a Jew. I'm going to kill all of the Jews. This is Haman's plan, to kill all of Mordecai's people to prove a point that you're going to bow to Haman if he walks by. So this is what he does. He gets some of his buddies together and they, they, they cast lots. This is apparently how they make decisions back then. Verse 7, I think it's chapter 3, it says, is it chapter 3? Oh yeah. So in the month of April, during the 12th year, so Queen Esther's been queen for five years. During the twelfth year of King Xerxes' reign, lots were cast in Haman's presence. The lots were called Purim to determine the best day and month to take action. When are we going to annihilate the Jews? And the day selected, they cast to the lots, was seven. Nearly a year later, the die could have been rolled May 7, a month later, but instead it's rolled and it's 11 months Later, So they've got some time. Once again, at the time, I imagine that nobody there thought God was at work in the rolling of the dice. I thought, I think they probably thought, what a coincidence. Next March. But we're going to find out that that's pretty important. He goes to the king. He presents the plan. And the king agrees, fine, do whatever you want. Next March, the Jews will be annihilated. And Mordecai hears of this. Ironically, Esther doesn't hear of this. Apparently, their marriage has some communication issues, or not, I guess, they're not married. Never mind, that joke doesn't work. (laughs) Family issues. Anyways, Mordecai hears of this. Esther doesn't hear of this. And so Mordecai goes and tells Esther. Nobody knows that Esther's a Jew. And he he pleads with Esther, next week I'm going to get into this story Esther goes and visits the king. And when she visits the king, she doesn't ask for her people to be saved. She asks the king to come over for a banquet at her house, at her area of the palace. And the king says, yeah. And she says, and I want one more person to come with you. I want it to be Haman. And the king says, okay. So the king and Haman come over for a banquet at Esther's area of the palace. And the king asks Esther, Esther, what are we having this banquet for? What do you want? What is your request of the king? 
And she says, I want you to come back tomorrow night for a banquet again. I don't want to reveal my request today. Doesn't make a lot of sense to me at the time. But in hindsight, you're going to see that God was at work in all of these details. The king says, okay. And she says, Haman, I'd like you to come back again tomorrow night for another banquet. He says, okay. So as Haman is leaving the first banquet, he is thrilled that he was invited. It was just him and the queen and the king, and he's feeling like a million bucks. He's on the inner circle. And as he's leaving and people are bowing, he sees Mordecai not bowing. Mordecai is back at the king's gate, and Mordecai decides, I'm not going to bow. And it says that Haman had to restrain himself from acting right there and then. He gets back with his family. He starts bragging about how he was invited to the banquet. He got to go. He's, he, he is thinking that he is, he is the amazing guy. I mean, right-hand man of the king. And then he says, and there's this guy, Mordecai. He's just driving me crazy. So his family gets together, and Haman's wife in Esther 5. So Haman's wife, Zeresh, and all of Haman's friends suggest, hey, set up a sharpened pole that stands 75 feet tall, and in the morning, ask the king to impale Mordecai on it. And when this is done, you can go on your merry way to the banquet with the king. This pleased Haman, and he ordered the pole set up. So this is the, the night in between the two banquets. Listen to what else happens the night between the two banquets. Esther chapter 6 verse 1. That night the king had trouble sleeping. So he ordered an attendant to bring in the book of the history of his reign so it could be read to him. <laughs> Arrogant guy, really. In those records... He discovered an account of how Mordecai had exposed the plot of Big Thana and Teresh, two of the eunuchs who guarded the door to the king's private quarters. That was years ago. They had plotted to assassinate the king. The king just had trouble sleeping. And I'm sure he thought it was a coincidence. Ah. And he says, come read my book. Come read the book about me. All the stories about me. So the servant comes in and opens up the big book. There's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of stories in this book. And, 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 and he says that he reads the one about Mordecai and Big Thana and Teresh and the assassination plot and how Mordecai helped Esther tell the king and they were killed. And I'm sure as he heard it, they probably just thought, what a coincidence. I'm sure they weren't able to see all that God was doing. It was just one of the stories. Wow, fascinating that you read that one. Because what happens is King Xerxes asks the servant and says, what do we do for that guy? What do we do for Mordecai? And the servant goes, actually, we didn't, we didn't do anything for him. He's still the one that's out by the king's gate. He's just the same old guy. As this conversation is happening with the king and his servant, he, the king goes, who is that in the outer court? The king inquired. And as it happened, just a coincidence, Haman 
arrived in the outer court of the palace to ask the king to impale Mordecai on the pole he had prepared. So the servant says, Haman's here. And so the king says, well, come on in, Haman. Let's talk. So Haman came in, verse 6, and the king said, what should I do to honor a man that truly pleases me? And Haman goes, you talking about me? And the king goes, no, I'm talking about Mordecai. And Haman's like, I was going to bring him up. And Haman goes, let's, or excuse me, King Xerxes goes, let's honor him. And the, the king makes Haman set up a parade for Mordecai through all of the city. And so while Mordecai doesn't bow to Haman, in a shocking twist of events, Haman is coordinating a parade for everyone to bow to Mordecai. And I just, I, I, I go, wait, you just couldn't sleep that night? And, he, and the idea he came up with apparently was, I don't know, read me a book about me. And the servant kind of hustles in and, and I don't know, just pick any story you want. He, he just, it's just a coincidence probably that he read this story about Mordecai the night before he was going to be impaled in a 75-foot pole. So at dinner the next night, after the parade for Mordecai, there's the king, there's Haman, and there's Esther. And the king says, Esther, what do you want? And Esther says, you, don't, you may not know this. I don't think you know this, but I'm a Jew. I'm a Jew. And Haman has set up a decree so that my people are going to be annihilated next March. My people are going to be annihilated. And, and the king said, well, who has done this? And Esther points at Haman. And the king has Haman executed on, what do you think? 75-foot pole. Shocking twist of events. Just a coincidence he built that thing. I just, I, I reflected, as I read the whole story of Esther, just a few times over the last couple of weeks, I just thought, at no point are these people thinking, man, God's really doing something here. These are just little coincidences. They rolled the dice. Hope gives us 11 months to work this out. Just one night, couldn't sleep. Just, Mordecai just happened to be at the king's gate, happened to hear the assassination plot. And at the time, they're probably going, man, that's a crazy story. And it's like, yeah, it's a crazy story, but it's what God was doing. Like, God had to do all of those things. What happens then is that the Jewish people are saved because of Esther. Because of the way this story plays out, the Jewish people are saved. And because the Jewish people are saved, somebody by the name of Jesus is born a couple hundred years later. And I'm not trying to say that if, I, I, I don't know, I guess this is just, I don't know, I guess I'm not, I'm not saying that like, you know, had this happened a different way that Jesus wouldn't have ever been born, but I'm saying this is, this is a story, this is the plan that God wrote up so that the Jews would be saved and Jesus would be born to come and save the world from their sins. The name of God isn't mentioned in the book of Esther. You can't, see, it doesn't say God did this or God did that. But in hindsight, you can see that God 
You can't deny his hand in it. And what was written off as coincidence wasn't a coincidence. It was providence. It was the protective, and gui- the protective care and guidance of God. I was reflecting on my own life, and it's kind of hard to compare your life with Xerxes or Esther, but I'm, I'm, com- I'm just thinking about my story. And I think that it, from time to time we can describe our lives and not attribute any of it to God. We can tell parts of our life, we can tell parts of our story, and not really think that God was all that involved. And then I was thinking about it, and I'm like, okay, where could God have been more involved than I thought that he was at the time? And I thought about when uh, in, in 2012, there was a girl named Morgan Myers who was a student at Indiana Wesleyan University, 4.0, Shatford Woman of the Year. I mean, everything she applies for, she gets. She's like got this track record of just being on the team and being a part of the group. And and she, she, if she applies for something, she's going to get, she applies to be on one of the IWU summer travel teams. And they're not I don't even know if this is going to make somebody upset who was on it, but they're not that competitive to get onto, right? Like, it's not that hard to get on one of the IWU travel summer teams. And Morgan applies. She's a shoe-in. She's like the perfect person to be on this team representing IWU. And she gets the notification in March, you didn't make the team. She has no backup plan. And so she starts talking to her friends, what are you doing this summer? This is the summer before her senior year of college. And she's got two friends. One of them is Hannah Gilmore. The other one is Bethany Bell. And they say, hey, you should come work at Beulah Beach. And Morgan says, what's Beulah Beach? And she says, it's a summer camp for kids. And Morgan applies. And Morgan gets the job. And I don't know her at all. I know Hannah and Bethany from former summers at Beulah Beach. But then a couple months later, Morgan accepts the job. Drives in a 2006 Maroon Ford Taurus down the Beulah Beach Drive and meets the camp director right by the fountain. And the camp director is me. Like in that moment, God changed my whole life. And we started dating at the end of that summer and we got married and now we have kids. And I'm just, I'm the happiest guy in the world. Like what God has done through Morgan in my life. It's like... I don't think it was a coincidence anymore. In March 2019, I was sitting outside of Upper Cup Coffee right there in Gehenna. And we had a, we had a job op, uh, available here at Three Creeks. And I was looking to have a teammate. And I called somebody. And his name was John Scott IV. You guys ever heard of him? And he was living in Branson, Missouri. And I said, John, dude, I haven't talked to you in forever. How are you? He goes, dude, you're not going to believe this. Last week, I, he's like, I'm not, I'm not, he said, I'm not trying to trick you or gas you up. He said, last week, I listened to a Three Creeks Church sermon for the first time in my life. And I said, well, it's, that's a coincidence because I'd like to talk to you about coming and moving here to Ohio and coming to work at Three Creeks Church. And then one thing after another, these little details fall into place, and, and John and Keandra move here, and God is using them. 
And it's, I just used to think that was a coincidence. Wow, can you believe John listened to that one week earlier? Why did he do that? What would have... I just think God's maybe in the details more than we think that he is. One month ago, I, I'll just say, I, I just have had, I don't know, maybe a rough four-month patch. Has, I haven't just been firing all cylinders, kind of discouraged about some stuff. I know I'm not the only person, and the minute I start whining, I find somebody who has had a, a lot worse go than I have with COVID and everything. So I'm not complaining. I'm just saying maybe this past summer wasn't my favorite. And I'm just discouraged. And I wonder if any of this is working. And I wonder if, I don't know, just bad days. And I go to a wedding, a wedding that at first I wasn't thinking that I was going to be able to go to. Jason uh, Ackerman and Jocelyn and I got there a little early because I was a part of the ceremony a little bit. And I saw a guy in a red shirt and thought, wow, that's a pretty loud red shirt. But, you know, to each their own. And he came straight over to me. He came to talk to me. And I was like, you know, saying hi. And he said, I'm Jason's dad. I live in Illinois. I said, no way. He said, and I watched a couple of your sermons over COVID. Last summer, I said, really? He said, yeah. And I I was like, okay, you know, thanks. And he said, I really, um," he said, do you remember the message that you gave on Easter during COVID when you showed everybody that rock? (laughs) I think I said, well, I remember. I'm not sure anybody else does, but I remember. And he said, well, I remember. And that afternoon I went out and I got a rock and I painted the rock and I wrote the date and it's, It's by my bed, and it reminds me of what God has done in my life. And I just, I guess it's hard for me to, like, put it into words how much that meant to me that day. Just just the lead up to that moment of just wondering, like, is any, what are we doing here? Like, is anything happening? And then I just meet this person whose life was changed through our church and what we're doing here, and it was just what, it was what I needed to hear that day. And at the time, I thought, man, what a coincidence. What a coincidence that that would happen like that. And as I've reflected on it more, I'm like, no way. That's not a coincidence. That's providence. That's the protective care and guidance of God. He's doing more than I think that he is. That even if I am not attributing things that are happening to me to God, I'm not going around saying, listen to what God did. I'm saying, listen to what happened. Just because his name isn't on it doesn't mean his hand wasn't in it. Even this week, knowing that I was going to share this message, my ears have just been attuned to different stories. I'm sitting at a wedding even last night, just hearing stories of people talking about things that have happened to them. And my eyes have been open. I'm like, wait a minute. That's just not coincidence. That's God working in people's lives more than they think that he is. And I would even venture to say that there might be somebody in the room, if you were to describe your life story, you wouldn't give a whole lot of credit to God. That just wouldn't be a reason anything happened to you. you. You just, maybe you're just checking things out or God, this whole thing is new to you. But you would just tell your life story and, and there wouldn't be 
God's name attached to things that have happened to you. But you're here today. And I would say that even if, even if you wouldn't say God's name in telling your life story, maybe in hindsight, you can begin to see God's hand in your story more than you thought. Maybe God's been doing a lot more than you walked in here thinking he was doing. Like where we live is not a coincidence and where we work, it's not a coincidence. And if we get a flat tire this week, that might not be a coincidence. And the person that might call you this afternoon, it might not be a coincidence. The fact that we're here all together in this church service right now, it might not be a coincidence. It might not be, wow, I just, I don't know, I just woke up and went to church. It might not be that happenstance. It might be that God is protecting you and caring for you. This isn't a coincidence. This is providence. And I'm not trying to over-spiritualize things. I'm not trying to hyper-spiritualize things. I think there's probably some danger in that. But I also think there's a lot of danger in under-spiritualizing things, in taking the credit, in writing things off as coincidence. I think there's great danger in that. And I think if our eyes were, were tuned and, and we were wondering, God, what are you doing here? Could you be working this out in a way that I was unaware of? I wonder if our faith would just buoy because we see the work of God because we're looking for it. The, the, the great encouragement for anybody who's here in the room, the great encouragement today is this, is that God is doing more than you think that he is, that he's caring for you and guarding you and protecting you and leading you, having you meet people, have, taking you places. He's got you on this journey and he's a lot more involved than you think that he is. And that is a good thing because he is a good God. And the great challenge for everybody in the room, no matter where you fall on your spiritual journey, the great, the great challenge is even just this week to begin to look and go, God, where are you doing stuff that I was unaware of? Where can I give you some praise and some honor and some glory? I didn't even know that was you. But I'll bet that if you open your eyes this week and just imagine that God's doing more, I think you'll see quickly that God is doing more. Certainly as we read the book of Esther, and, I, and you should read it, all of it, this week, nine chapters. It'll set you up for the next three weeks of this series. Certainly as you read the book of Esther, as the story's going on, you'll see these people aren't thinking, God's really working here. But in hindsight, you'll say, man, God was really working there. The whole thing, the whole book of Esther, is God's plan to save people. It's God's plan to save people, and he does it even though people had no idea it was happening when it was. Will you guys pray with me? We're going to sing a couple songs together. God, we want to see all that you're doing. I know we don't get access to that. I know that you're always going to be doing a billion things that we'll never see. But God, even this week, would you just give us a glimpse of what you're doing? Would you show us your work? Would you show us your hand in things? Would you, this week, give us experiences that we at first will say, man, that's crazy. 
How did that happen? What a coincidence. But God, would you remind us that you care for us and you're protecting us and you're guarding us and that is providence and that you're more at work in our lives than we ever thought that you were. God, help us not to over-spiritualize things. But God, help us not to under-spiritualize things. Help us to look for you in the day-to-day, in the mundane, in the random, quote-unquote, coincidences that happen in our lives. We want to see you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you were both challenged and encouraged today. For everything you want to know about Three Creeks Church, visit threecreekschurch.com.